I want to start this morning off, uh, first and foremost, just saying this. Thanks for driving in this uh, white stuff. Um, if you're tuning in online, um, I'm pretty sure your PJs are comfy. Um, and that's awesome, because I also almost wore PJs. Uh, but I didn't, so you're welcome for getting dressed today. Um, I also do just want to share this. I, I've been really encouraged with this series. I think this series has been just incredibly impactful for many of us, and, and today I don't think it's going to be any different. And uh, <clears throat> many of you probably noticed I brought up some of these roses here. Has anybody ever received a rose before in their life? I feel like I'm on, like, The Bachelor or whatever right now, like, <laughs> so-and-so, will you accept this rose? Um, my reality is, is I've actually never received a rose in my life. But roses are beautiful. I remember main days going to the store when I was dating Courtney and even after we got married and, and trying to find the perfect bunch of roses. Like you scour them, you look very intimately at them. You make sure that like these roses I picked up actually this morning and you can see they're kind of actually like junk, <laughs> which is perfect to be honest with you for today. But roses, they're, they're beautiful. We look at them, and, and they're a sign of love, and different colors mean different things. Friendship, purity, and red, love. But is a rose still beautiful if it's broken? Is this rose still beautiful if it's broken? If, if the petals start to come off, and if it's starting to wilt, and is this, is this rose really still beautiful? See, I think this rose oftentimes represents us, and especially what we're talking about today. A rose is a lot like our bodies. Sometimes life bears us up, and it just will want to absolutely just start to tear us apart. It'll trample us, it'll hurt us, it'll, it'll, it'll do everything in its power to absolutely just get to a place where we have almost nothing left, and it makes us feel like we are just broken. Is this rose still beautiful? Other times, life will take us, and it does something where it likes to throw us down, beat us up, trample on us a little bit, scuff us up. Is this rose, though, still beautiful? But let's not also forget that sometimes, as we go on in life, day after day, month after month, year after year, it might be a slow toll. Relationships that we are a part of, friendships that we have, our family, it, it might be a slow toll where we don't even see it adding up day by day as it just slowly tears us apart. It, is this rose still beautiful. Oftentimes in our world, when we look at something like this, we see a big mess. Oftentimes, if you were to pick up that rose, you would not want to give it to a significant other. It's, it's starting to feel like it's falling apart. It's wilting. The leaves are falling apart, broken. So what does our world say to do with it? 
Throw it away. <laughs> right? Get rid of it. The leaves are not going to uh, get the sunlight. The, the stems aren't the, cut the right way. It's not going to get the nutrients. Just throw it away and hope for the best. And sometimes, though, our world is like, no, 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 don't throw it away. Try to, try to pick up the pieces. And if I, if I put enough tape around it, maybe, maybe not. Can I just share that today the gospel is good news? And we're going to be talking about how the gospel is good news for our broken bodies. You guys are so glad you came this morning. Image and identity issues leads us to a place where we maybe even look at ourselves with a whole bunch of shame and even broken image ideas about who we are and who God has made us to be. It leads us to a path of possible disorders, false selves that we make up in our minds of who I should be, who I am, and how do I get there. Maybe there's pain from hurt in, in relationships that lead us to a place where we actually just hurt others because we've been hurt, we've been ripped apart, and as we just stand in the mirror, all we look around is see broken rose petal after broken rose petal. How can I be loved when I'm just a broken person? Our lives are being broken, so we keep ourselves broken. Why? Because how do I really break more than what I'm broken right now? I can't get more broken, right? And for our world and our culture, we will look at this reality of if I am a broken body, how is anybody going to love me? So I will look for sexual fulfillment, sexual pleasure and worth outside of where and what God has ever created. I am here to go for the jugular this morning. I hope you're on for the journey. Because we operate in realms of either throw things out or fix it till you can't fix it no more and hope that it works for the best. Can I share, though, that I do not believe that those are the answer or those are the options that Jesus has before us? I do not believe that God wants to discard our broken bodies. I don't believe that God wants to just fix our broken bodies either. I believe there's a greater plan. I believe that he has a desire for our broken bodies. And he wants them. He wants them. I remember watching as I was prepping for this uh, message late at night, and I, I watched this, this clip of a pastor, Matt Chandler, and talked about Rose, and, and he talked about, and he did this different illustration. I remember sitting there, and I went to bed, and in the morning, I was in the shower, and God was like, you should really use a Rose illustration for your sermon. And I was like, I already wrote my sermon, bro. It doesn't involve a Rose. And he's like, it does now. It's like, I guess it does now. And so that's kind of where, like, I, as I was wrestling with broken bodies, this came from a late night uh, binge watch on YouTube rabbit hole, led me to a place of understanding that God wants our broken bodies just like he would want the broken rose. And he doesn't want to discard our broken bodies, but rather he wants to not even fix them. He wants to redeem our broken bodies. Can I just share that redemption is better than fixing me? God's redeeming work in me is better than fixing me. Why? Because I believe that God, Jesus, turns broken into beautiful. He turns our broken bodies, our broken hearts, our broken 
even identities into something beautiful, something made in his image, something made in his design and his desire. And today, we're going to dive into this topic. And it is one I fully am aware that it has very cultural implications and conversations in this world. I'm fully aware of that, and I'm totally okay with it. Because I want us to, first and foremost, do a few things. Number one, can we all just recognize that we all have a broken body? Can we all recognize we all have a broken body? Okay? Number two, can we also all recognize that we also all have a broken sexuality? Now, before we start to get really uncomfortable, let's just understand we all walk and have a broken sexuality. We all suffer from that. But God's desire is not to fix it. It's to redeem it. If you've been around here any time, you, you probably have heard a little bit of my story. I haven't shied away from it, and I'm not going to, that there's a story for me that I have a broken body, and I have a broken sexuality just like you. My broken body consisted of, after a, a brutal split with my parents and, and brokenness with that, I became in a, so obsessed with being this macho man, the alpha male. If you can't tell, because I'm standing on stage, my six foot three body is very intimidating to a lot of people. <laughs> I tried to do everything in my power to become the alpha male. Skip meals in high school so that I could just shovel chalky whey protein into my mouth, just assuming that the more whey protein, creatine, and supplements that I would take and I would eat would make me more uh, stronger, bigger, faster, more alpha male than anybody else who I'd come across. I had a broken body, but my broken body also came with a, a, a broken sexuality. I started to look for affirmation and worth from a porn addiction that led me deep into the pits of it. I struggled with a broken body. And my broken body was also a part of a broken family. A father who left the family to go pursue a lifestyle of, of being a gay man. Choosing his happiness, his worth, his joy, his pleasure, all the while leaving a family in deep hurt, deep pain, deep wounds. Broken. And my dad's broken sexuality of being a gay man is, is a different broken sexuality than my sexuality that is broken. But can I just also talk about the reality that both of these are symptoms of broken bodies? Do we understand that? As well as body image issues. My body image issues of trying to pursue the biggest, baddest man I could be is a broken body issue just like the, the many uh, teens that I would counsel as a youth pastor who are struggling, struggling with body image and self-worth issues. Broken bodies. Can I just remind us that Jesus desires to take what is broken and make it beautiful, though? He doesn't want to fix it. I don't believe that that is his business. I think he's in the business of redemption. And one of the stories, again, as I was processing this sermon, this message, I was, I was all set for it, and God just said, I want to take you on a little bit of a turn, Kyle. Are you cool with it? 
And he, he reminded me of a story in the word where Jesus, his son, is sitting down at a well. His disciples are going on ahead, and as he sits down at a well, he's sitting there because he's thirsty. Did you know that the well is a place that you draw water from and you can get a drink? And so as he's sitting at this well, there's this lady, this woman who walks up to it. Many of you maybe have heard this story before. We're going to be in John chapter 4. Go on and start turning to it. Flip to it on your uh, phone if you have it. And, And here we see Jesus sitting at this well, and this woman walks up. And as she walks up, this conversation starts to happen with Jesus and her. We're not going to read the whole thing today. But, but there's this conversation where she's a Samaritan woman. He is a Jew and a man. These two people should not be talking to each other, let alone sitting at the same well. And she starts to just ask him some questions. How are you going to get water? You have nothing to draw with it. And Jesus is giving some not so subtle hints, by the way, of who he really is. He's like, baby girl, if you only knew who I really am, you would never be thirsty again. I have a a water that can quench your thirst like you've never had it quenched before. If you only knew. And it gets to this place where they're having this kind of conversation over and over and over again. And after he gives this not so subtle hint of who he is, that he is the living water, she basically says, give me this water. Give me this water. I'm craving this water and I'll never be thirsty again. So Jesus responds, verse 16, this is where we're going to pick up, 16 through 20. Go and get your husband, Jesus tells her. You can imagine there's a little bit of a pause. And maybe through the mumbling, well, I, I don't have a husband. Continues on, verse 17, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands. And you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly have spoken the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Tell me why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here where our ancestors are worshiping? We see this dynamic thing happening. Go and tell your husband. (laughs) I don't have one. You're right, you have multiple. And the one that you're living with and probably sleeping with right now, you're not even married to. In this moment, Jesus takes a posture that I think we as the church have maybe lost. He sees this woman with a very broken body and a very broken sexuality. And what does he do? The first thing he does is he engages in a conversation. He doesn't disregard the broken body, but rather he sees the broken body. He sees her broken sexuality. He sees her brokenness. And he desires to speak into it. See, I think in order for me to totally understand this, I had to get to a place where I understand, I, I understood that we actually have a very complicated relationship with our bodies. <laughs> Anybody else have a complicated relationship with their body? I have a really complicated issue, right? We have this complicated relationship with our bodies. And, and I think we're going to kind of look at how 
what I think is very evident in the text and when you start to understand the context and the culture of this text, that there are three main ways that our bodies are broken. Not just for her in this text, but even for us today. And the first one is this, is we're broken by, we have frail, fragile bodies. Did you know, I'm learning this, I'm 33, I, I think I'm 33. I lose track, actually, to be honest with you. I'm 33, I think, now. And the older I've gotten, the more pain my body has suffered somehow. You understand what I'm saying in this? Playing softball. I used to be able, at 18, 19 years old, running in the outfield, trying to catch that fly ball, full speed, right into the fence. I ricochet off of it, and I get right back up. Nothing ever happened. I'm good to go, right? It's just a flesh wound. Now, I hit the fence, and I'm like down and out for 10 minutes. I'm like, that fence hurts now. What happened? I think personally the fences have gotten stronger and harder. It certainly can't be because my body is getting older and more fragile, right? Right? But when you look at this text, the woman's body is very frail as well probably. Let's just be very blunt and honest here. She's been with man after man. You've had five husbands, the one you're with now you're not married to. The brokenness of her physical body is probably pretty great. We also can imagine that it is the, the frailty of her body that has probably been done to her. Why does she have so many husbands? We don't, we don't understand, we don't see, the text doesn't enlighten us of did her husbands previously die? Did they get divorced? We don't know. There's a possibility of abuse. There's a possibility of, of pain. There's a possibility of harm. There's even possible brokenness that has not just been done to her, but even possibly brokenness that has been done from her. Her body is very frail. We too are. Our bodies are frail as well. Our bodies are coming apart at the seams. They're falling apart as we continue to live life. But yet Jesus' posture is simple. He has a conversation, and he's welcoming to it. But our bodies are also broken from our own failure. Go back to it, right? You've had five husbands, failed marriage after failed marriage after failed marriage after failed marriage. That's a failure, right? That's what it would say. That our bodies are broken from failures. We don't know why those relationships didn't work out. But we have to understand the cultural context of this messy situation with this woman. There's a very broken conversation even in this. And Jesus fully engages in the messy conversation of the brokenness and the failure of sexual bodies and sexual relationships and our broken bodies. Like for many of us, we ask the question at some point in our life, how did I even get here, right? How do I even get here? But we're very hesitant to even admit the stuff that we've done to contribute to the mess in our life. It's hard for us sometimes. It's hard for us to see the brokenness. Because it's painful. It brings up emotions. It brings up even deeper pain, possibly. And maybe even deeper brokenness. 
I heard it once said that you only contribute to your salvation the sin that made it necessary. I can contribute nothing else to the salvation in my life besides the sin that made it necessary. No good works of mine will earn my salvation. No matter how many times I can stand on this stage and preach this word, it will not earn my salvation. We understand that, right? That our brokenness in our bodies, so often we keep in this, this closet, right? And we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about broken sexuality. We don't want to talk about our broken bodies. If we just keep it quiet and don't let anybody else in, that maybe just maybe it will work itself out. But can I just share that one of the things that this text really shows us is that our broken bodies need to be spoken about. Our broken bodies need to be spoken about. That yes, she has her own sexual failure and body brokenness, but also there is a community of failure surrounding her. That's the third reason. We're brokenness by the fallenness of our world. Why in the world is she coming to the well in the middle of the day? This well is right outside of her, her house, basically. It's right outside of her neighborhood. It, those times, the, the weather would be the hottest in the middle of the day. And for a Samaritan woman to come in the middle of the day meant something. What? It meant that she didn't want to go early in the morning or late at night because they were shame and disgust of who she is by the community around her. <laughs> she was an outcast. Because of her past, because of her sexual brokenness and brokenness of her body that she lives in, she was shunned, she was shamed, and she was outcasted. See, we all can and we all do understand that there is a brokenness in our world. It's not a surprise to us. We see it, we live in it that our world is broken. But I think what burdens sometimes our hearts is that the brokenness in our world is celebrated, celebrated and applauded. Live your truth for who you want to be. Be whoever you want to be. That's what you're designed to be. God maybe got it wrong, but you know what is right. And you know what is true. So things that we know are not of God are things that our world and our culture tells us to tolerate and to celebrate. This is also the same thing we do with comparison, right? That was part of my brokenness. Of, I was comparing myself to the other guys on my football team, my basketball team, who actually are six foot three. I was looking at the size of, of not only their height, but how do I become much more macho and stronger and alpha than they ever can be? Comparison game. My body doesn't look the way that the movie stars do, so how do I get to that place where well, I'm going to start to starve myself or take these supplements or do whatever I need to do to fit that mold? Comparison. Many of us walk in sexual brokenness in many forms. And part of it is due to how we've also been treated. Emotionally, we mistreat our bodies. It's probably not a surprise. Emotionally, we mistreat our bodies. That the body shaming of what we see in the mirror and the disconnect of our mind from our bodies, it flows from there. It leads us to eating disorders. It leads us to struggles with our, our mental health well-being. It leads us to struggles of who we are. 
I was a youth pastor for many years. And something that burdened my heart is the suicide rate for teens who are struggling and who are walking in the LGBTQ community. The suicide rate is incredibly high. The emotional toll. And it leads, I, I have many conversations, I have many stories of students who would sit right across from me at a coffee shop or in my office or at a school event or a school lunch table. And it could be 95 degrees outside, but they would never roll up their, their sleeves. Because they knew that if they rolled up their sleeves, they would, I would see the physical harm that was happening on their bodies. That they were trying to escape the pain of what they were living in with more pain in their own bodies, their own flesh. Physical breaking and hurting of our bodies. That we try to escape pain with more pain in a different area. That that's our only option. There's even the reality that for many of us, as we walk in brokenness in our bodies, that there's a sexually exploiting and corruption of our bodies. It's my body. I can give, uh, give it away, piece by piece, away as long as I feel like it and as long as it feels good and somewhat enjoyable. It doesn't matter that we're just objects. We're just objects to be flung around. We're just objects to be exploited for joy, pleasure, and my happiness. After all, it's all about me. And it leads us to believe that our bodies are gross. It leads us to a place where we feel deeper brokenness than where we ever were before. So what we do, we seek peace. The word that a lot of times would be used in the Bible is shalom. It's when broken pieces are brought back together in wholeness. How do we find that shalom, though? There's only way that we can find it, and the way is this, is, is grace, God's grace. Because grace takes what is broken. Grace takes what is broken, and it holds it together in a way that is better, more beautiful, and more redeemed than ever before. It's only through God's grace that we can find true peace and true shalom. The hard part, though, is that culturally, we try to find peace outside of the Prince of Peace. Woo! And when we try to find outside the Prince of Peace, we will never, ever find true peace in our lives. So what we do, we try to find peace with pushing our bodies further than what they should go to. We try to find peace in, in going deeper and deeper into the, the proteins and the supplements and the body images and the disorders. We try to push our bodies further than what we actually can go. And then we wonder why they fall apart. They're frail. They're fragile. But we also seek it from illicit and bad relationships that leads us to a place of cheating and corruption in our own marriages and relationships with each other. If we just numb the pain of my brokenness in my marriage by this relationship, maybe I will have peace in my life. I'll be satisfied. She can figure out what to do on her own. We'll be okay. But we also try to find peace in identifying as somebody who we're not, whether it be the opposite gender that maybe God somehow, some way kind of got it wrong. What that really says is I want control. I'm not willing to submit what he has in store for me and his plan for me 
I want control. I know what's best. And I'll tell the story I want to tell. And I know this is a cultural hot topic. I get it. But can I just share that I believe that we are burdened as the body of Christ to walk in his plans and his anointings and his desires for us in our lives. Because I believe that anything and everything he has in store for me and my body is far greater than anything this world can offer. I believe that's been true since the beginning of time. So we try to find peace even in those closeted porn addictions, those closeted subscriptions. We try to find peace in ways that the emotional sexual rush that you are filled with to be the ideal image of who you think you should be when God is calling you to something different. Peace that isn't peace at all is only chaos and corruption. And it leads us to shame. Shame in our brokenness, shame in ourselves. And we begin to see ourselves as the world does rather than how he does. Broken, hurting, pain. Jesus, though, wants to take our broken bodies and make something beautiful out of them. We're told that we're made in his image, in the image of God. Genesis 1, like that's, and God made man in his image to reflect him. Paul writes in Ephesians that we are his masterpiece, his poema, his great work, his most beautiful, beautiful masterpiece. But our shame prevents us from seeing us the way that God does. Brene Brown, she puts it this way, shame cannot survive though being spoken. Shame cannot survive being spoken. See, when we expose shame to compassion, when we expose shame to compassion, the lies loosen their bonds on our life. When we expose the shame to compassion, what happens when we don't let shame control the narrative anymore? What happens is, is interesting. See, when my family was broken, when it was torn apart and everything was happening, when my dad left, he pursues his own uh, lifestyle for his pleasure, his enjoyment, leaving behind the wake of a broken family, broken wounds, broken kids, broken marriage. What was so interesting is that there was a moment, many moments where our family, my mom and us kids, we had to be willing to bring shame to the light of Christ. I'll never forget the first time sharing with a group of my closest friends in, in high school that my dad was gay and my family was broken to the core. The amount of support, the amount of prayer that those guys, some of them still in my life today, have walked with me through. That when shame comes to the light, that it can no longer survive. That shame cannot survive when it's in the light of Christ. Can I share that from a broken family that had no design or desire? I'll speak for myself. I had no desire to step foot back in a church again because I blame God on a lot of stuff with that. But yet somehow God has, has called all, both of my brothers and myself into full-time pastoral ministry. And that from that, my mom and my sister are engulfed in ministry themselves, serving and championing and mentoring and tutoring, tutoring 
young kids in the faith. Can I just share with you that God has a greater plan than what the world has to offer? My, my testimony is just proof of that. God is doing something dynamic for such a time, I believe, as this. That I've walked with students struggling with it. I've walked with families struggling with it. That I've walked through families as fathers or mothers are struggling with same-sex attraction. And I can talk from a different voice of the 15-year-old kid who can tell you the experience of that. But I can also share on the opposite side of it, the beauty of what God wants to do when we submit our plans, our bodies to him. See, what the world wanted to embrace and applaud, go live your truth, go do this, go, go have your own 15 minutes of fame, do whatever you want. God, Christ, wanted to flip for his glory. The end doesn't end in shame anymore. Just go on and read the rest of the story. As Jesus talks to her and shares more, she goes back into her village and she literally tells them, I've literally just met the Messiah. And they're like, you crazy. She's like, come and see yourself. So they come and what they do is they discover that Jesus, as he sits there, Many are converted to believe and follow Jesus all because of what? All because her story went from being a story filled with shame to a story filled with redemption and hope. He wants to do the same thing with our broken bodies and our broken, our broken sexuality as well. So how does it happen? My buddy, his name is Tim Ross. He has no idea who I am, but I follow him on Instagram. He's a cool dude. And he said it this way in John 1, confession to God brings forgiveness but in James 5, we also understand that confession and community brings healing. We need to confess it to God, but we need the community of believers around us to help us walk in our brokenness so that we can pursue God together. Come on, church, is that a good word or not? That we need community to walk together in our broken sexuality, our broken bodies, so that we fully can enjoy and experience God like we've never done before. Oftentimes, I feel that we as a church have gotten this wrong, though. I'm just going to be very blunt about it. We've had the wrong mindset about it. We have our position, but our posture don't match it. We have our position, which I believe is, a, is this, but our posture doesn't model the posture of Christ. A posture that says, bring your brokenness, bring your mess, and can we just experience the, the glory of the Savior together? Jesus doesn't embrace or, or celebrate brokenness or celebrate the broken body, the broken sexuality. He wants to redeem it. He doesn't want to fix it. He wants to redeem it. Can I just share that for us? I want to be a church that has the posture of Christ when it comes to broken bodies and broken sexuality. That we as a church would be a place that broken stories, broken bodies, and broken sexuality can come and find redemption in the name of Jesus Christ. That their stories are the brokenness in life. It doesn't have to stay broken that there's redemption desired for them of each and every one of us, that this is a place that broken bodies are not just, are not embraced, but rather broken bodies and broken sexuality is submitted to the hands and to God's throne where he, he redeems them for his glory, that this will be a place that stories don't end in brokenness or hopelessness, that stories 
end with redemption and wholeness and holiness in Jesus' name. Jesus' own body was a broken one. In Luke chapter 22, we get the story in the Last Supper. It says this, he took some bread in Luke 22, 19 uh, and 20, took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took a cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. He's sitting at a very familiar meal with his disciples. They've been here before. Passover. And everything in this meal would point towards something. The, the bitter herbs would point to the bitterness of slavery. The salt water would be the tears of, the, of Egypt's oppression. And, and this lamb that they would have partaken in would have been the atoning sacrifice for the Jews. But Jesus is writing a new thing. See, the Passover and Exodus that they've been celebrating, it created a nation. It, it created a nation of slaves that were freed from Egypt, and, and it became a great nation. It was a beautiful, great nation. But this new Passover, this new meal that Jesus is, is, is partaking in and instructing in is creating a new people. It's creating a people that is unified and united under his name, under his broken body and his blood that is poured out and shed for each and every one of us. That when Jesus took the bread and took the wine and he broke it, he modeled the Father's will for each and every one of us. Because bread that is not broken cannot be shared with one another. Body brokenness needs to move from a place of being in the closet, quieted, to a place where we are talking about it and experiencing and walking together in community. Bread that is not broken cannot be shared. Our broken bodies are just as much communal as they are individual. I mean, that was the model he did in, in Scripture with this bread. He blessed it. Then he broke it. And then he shared it. It's a model of our lives and our relationship with him. Is a rose still beautiful? I find it intriguing that one of the most beautiful uh, flowers, a rose is also more times than not the same flower that you destroy so that a flower girl will lay down petals. Woo! And these petals will be the track in the place that the bride in all of her glory and her white dress would walk down as she goes to find her husband, her groom. I know the camera's not on me. Good luck with that, Josh and guys. But that this, a broken petal, a broken rose, is the place that God wants to use to lead us to a place of wholeness, a place of beauty, a place that when we follow on in our brokenness, when we follow it, God's using the brokenness to get to a place where we are back standing with him, the groom, as the church. Right? Him as the groom and we as the bride in all the glory and whiteness. When we understand that our brokenness is the track in the trail that God wants to lead us to a place to experience him fuller and more beautiful than we've ever understood before. Is a rose still beautiful if it's broken? I believe absolutely. Because the rose still has a purpose. 
and it still provides a path to show us God's glory and God's redemption. The question this morning that I want you to wrestle with and, and, and pray through is where in my body do I need to seek healing today? Where's my body broken? Where's my body broken that I need his healing today? Where's my body physically broken, maybe? And for many of us, I want to encourage you, where is my body sexually broken, too? That I need his healing like I've never had before. During this next song, I'm part of the reason why we wanted to build a stage is, is to create almost like a little altar, a little opportunity where people can come and just kneel before God here. That if, if we truly want to be a church that submits to him and his authority and his grace, that we have to model it and we have to partake in it, that we have to come before him, kneel, lay flat, and just pour out our prayers to him. And so maybe this morning God is leading you to walk and take that step of faith to walk up to the front and just pray. God, heal my broken body in this manner. God, heal my broken sexuality in this manner. Maybe you need to intercede on somebody else's behalf. God, I have somebody in my life who is struggling with a broken body, a broken sexuality. I pray right now, God, that you give me an opportunity to be your hands and your feet, to model the posture of you. Which is love. So this morning, as, as we just close in these next songs, uh, would you just wrestle and allow yourself to wrestle with God? Where's my body broken? Where's my sexuality broken? And where do I desire God to heal and move that? Would you stand with me and pray? Father, as we just come before you today, I just ask that right now, Lord, that you would prompt us, that you would move us to a place where we can see you, hear you, and understand what you are moving us into doing, Lord. Give us the, give us the opportunity to obey you, Lord, to step into presence, deeper into your presence, Lord, that we would submit our brokenness to you. So God, we just give this to you today. And we pray this in your name. Amen.